Are you sometimes frustrated by your prayer life? I know I am quite frequently with my own. Some of us might even think, I just wish I had a prayer life to be frustrated about, right? This is a, a very common sentiment amongst most Christians today. We're often bothered or frustrated by our prayer life or lack thereof. We aren't we we don't pray often enough or long enough or appropriate enough or effectively enough, we feel. And I mean we believe that prayer is important. We know that to be true and we trust it. We just can't seem to do it right or to make it a top priority in our lives. We're too busy or too tired too distracted or or preoccupied with other things in our lives. The Bible tells us in one point to pray without ceasing. Many times, I don't know if we cease anything in order to pray. You feel this way sometimes, or, or most times. You need to hear what God's Word has to say to us today. See, I think that many of our difficulties in prayer stem from misunderstandings we have about prayer. I think we often simply just don't get how we're supposed to pray. Maybe we've never learned before. Some of you may think that you're just a beginner in the faith or or learning to pray, and that others who have been in the church for years are experts or, or prayer warriors, and they've got it all together. But in reality, none of us are experts. We're all just beginning to learn what it means to pray. And so we need to be taught what it means to pray, why to pray, how we're to pray. And if we want to learn how to pray, there's no one better to go to than the creator of prayer himself. And that's Jesus, who actually at one point in history stepped into our world. And while he was there, he exemplified a life of prayer, and he answered prayer, and he taught about prayer prayer. That's where we need to go. So this week and next, we're actually going to study and focus on a passage where Jesus taught his followers how to pray. Today, we're going to focus on the first part, which includes some of Jesus' most famous words about prayer. So please turn with me, if you have a Bible, and if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one from the pew in front of you, and it's on page 869. And as you turn there, find the place. Very appropriately, we're going to begin with prayer once again. So let's pray once more this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today and, and what you've written for us to hear, to learn from, to grow by, we pray that you would be glorified in what is said and what is heard. Pray that your kingdom would extend today over our hearts that we would learn to obey you more, to grow more like you, to submit to you. Please give us what we most need this morning, and you know that that is that we need you. Help us to confess our sin and turn from them this morning, and, and please deliver us from our sins and the temptations that surround us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin chapter 11 of Luke, We're going to see really quick what Jesus doing, what he so often did. Very beginning, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, we're tempted to breeze by that passing half sentence. 
But this is much more than just a simple note of context or the setting of a scene. See, prayer was the context of Jesus' life in entirety. Okay? It was the scene. Or you might say it was behind the scenes of every other scene in his life. Over ten times in Luke's Gospel, Luke points out how frequently and often Jesus prayed. Jesus went alone to pray. He was, he was praying alone. Jesus drew away from the crowds to pray. Jesus prayed over and over. And by repeating this theme, Jesus try, or Luke tries to show us that Jesus was a man of prayer. And Jesus showed by example that a life of godliness is a life that's soaked in prayer. Every aspect. See, Jesus' life wasn't a life of ministry that was frequently interrupted by prayer. Jesus' life was a life of prayer that overflowed into ministry. As Jesus made this a habit in his life of frequently praying to the Father, the disciples that were around him, following him everywhere, noticed. So something's with this. And as they saw Jesus go aside once again to pray, one of them asked Jesus. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So the disciples, think about this, okay? The disciples never asked Jesus, as far as we know of, teach us to perform miracles like you do. Or teach us how to preach. Teach us how to spread your ministry. No, to their credit, the disciples seemed to recognize that the secret to Jesus' success was the constant dependence on God's power through prayer. And so they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, Disciples may have been inspired by a bit of jealousy here. Jealous of how John the Baptist, when he was still alive, taught his disciples to pray. He says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And maybe Jesus hadn't done as much yet to, to teach his own disciples. But regardless of what inspired their, prayer, their request, it was still a very good and appropriate request to make. Teach us to pray. Like I said earlier... None of us are experts when it comes to prayer. If we were in a, a school of prayer, you might think, and Jesus was the teacher, we're all still in kindergarten. We're all still learning. And the disciples here admitted their need, and they recognized Jesus' ability to help them. Like someone asking to learn anything, like cooking or how to play an instrument or how to ride a bike. We need you to teach us how to pray. And if we want to learn to pray, we need to go to him the same way. Say, Jesus, you're the expert. You're the creator. Teach us how to do this. Now, just in case anyone here is unclear on what prayer actually is, let, let's clarify that first. Okay? The simplest definition of prayer is speaking to God. Okay? That's the simplest. You might more broadly define it as communication or communion with God. Basically, it is the unbelievable privilege that we've been given to communicate with Almighty God. That is amazing. See, God could have just created us, set our world into motion, and then ignored us. Right? He could have done that. 
given us no way to get his attention, to communicate with him, to ask him for help or anything, but he didn't. No. He cares about us. He loves us. He he knows us completely, and he wants us to know him in return. So as part of that, in his grace, he welcomes us. He wants us to speak with him, to know him more. Recently on my cell phone, I found a cool feature that I can, it's like a speed dial. But I can actually input people's contacts right onto the home page of the phone, and with one click of a button, I can make a phone call to direct to people. Okay? And it goes right away. And in a way, it's like with God, we have him on constant speed dial. In our contacts, on our phone, with a guaranteed direct line him at any time, any day, 24-7. We don't even need to press a button. Okay? At any moment you wish, you can speak with God and be heard by him. We take this for granted all the time. Prayer is not a burden. It's not a a task on our to-do list. It's a joy and a privilege. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. can't aspire to anything greater than being able to communicate with God. So the disciples here asked Jesus to pray, and, and Jesus responded, Good question. I love to teach you. Verse 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now those are very familiar words to you all, and commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But you may notice right away that these words here in Luke sound a bit different than normal, don't they? Okay? And that's because the Gospel of Matthew actually has another version of this prayer, which happens to be the longer, more popular, and more oft-quoted version. And so that's the one we often hear and know by heart. And Luke seems to be missing a couple phrases like, your will be done, or deliver us from evil. But you don't need to be bothered by these differences at all. This wasn't the same story. It wasn't the same setting. This was spoken at a different time, at a different location, to a different audience. And anything that we might think Luke is missing is actually implied in the rest of the prayer. He's not missing anything. Besides, it shouldn't surprise us at all that Jesus taught similar things at different times. All good teachers and preachers repeat important concepts all the time over and over again, and yet they hardly ever say the the things the exact same way twice, right? That was Jesus, what he did on earth. Now Jesus' example of prayer here over these couple verses immediately tears down a few of our misconceptions about prayer, some of our misunderstandings. First of all, we see prayer doesn't need to be long. Pretty obvious, right? Look, Jesus' prayer here consists of 36 words, six lines, four sentences, three verses, 
That's it. Now, there are certainly times that we should pray long and hard, but we should never be intimidated by needing to pray for hours on end or even minutes on end. Okay? We all know prayer ramblers, right? You may be one, okay? But if you get a prayer rambler just praying, they can go on and on and on and on. Right? But this prayer shows us that prayers can be very short, even just a few phrases long. In fact, Jesus tells elsewhere in Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The power of prayer is never found in the length of the prayer. Neither is it found in the length of the words themselves. We also see from Jesus' example that prayer doesn't need to be complicated or or fancy in any way. Some people today speak a totally foreign language when they pray. And I'm not talking about people who are speaking in French or another different language. These people are apparently speaking English. (laughs) Don't you love when the people who pray in King James Versionese? Or the people who throw in all the fancy, super deep theological terms into their prayers? Or people who feel the need for a Lord or Father or Jesus, every other word? as if Jesus didn't know that we were talking to him the first time we said it. (laughs) But we get into these things like, Most holy and magnificent Father of all, we beseech thee, Lord, to heed thine servant's humble petition before you. Quicken our hearts to thee, O Lord. (laughs) I'm sorry if I just made fun of you. It needed to happen. We can't laugh at ourselves. Oh, man, we take ourselves too seriously. But <laughs> you can pray these ways if you want to. There's nothing inherently wrong with them, okay? But I think the issue is that it makes other people, when they pray, it seems insufficient or insignificant. They think that they have to learn this foreign language of prayer before they can pray themselves. Listen. If you're intimidated by other people's supposedly superior prayers, don't be. Okay, prayer is much simpler than that. It's not complicated. It's just speaking with God. Like you would a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. Jesus made prayer here accessible, practical, and repeatable. Anyone can do it, including every one of you. One more clarification before we proceed. Some people have seen this prayer and heard Jesus say this and say, when you sit, pray, say this. And we think that Jesus meant for us to pray this exact prayer or close to it every single time we pray. But that can't be true. Just look at the other times in Scripture that we see Jesus pray himself. Outside of Matthew 6, we never see him use these exact words again. Or look at the prayers we have recorded of Moses or or David or Paul or others. They're all different. All diverse, all praying about different things. See, when Jesus told his followers to pray this way, Jesus didn't intend for us to pray this in rote repetition. 
Just the same exact words over and over and over. Now, this was more of a pattern for us, or a model, you might say, for prayer. Not a rigid mantra that we're to follow. We should should be following similar structures, incorporating the same themes, but not necessarily the exact words. We don't need to. Okay? Now, those are just a few short observations we make right away in the Lord's Prayer. But those aren't the points of this passage. The point of the passage is to teach us how to pray. What they ask. Teach us to pray, Lord. So the rest of our time today, we're going to dig into that. How should we pray? The most important things to Jesus weren't the amounts of time or the lengths of words or or any secret formulas or special postures or holy locations or anything like that. The most important things to Jesus were actually the content of the prayer so it was prayed about, which, of course, reflects the attitudes of our heart. The content and the attitudes. So we ask, well, what should we be praying about? What should our attitudes be? Well, there are five different aspects here in this prayer, which we'll look at each briefly. And as we do, I want you to evaluate yourself and how you pray. Say, do I pray this way? How can I do this better? How can I pray more fully and more balanced in my life? Okay? The first two we're going to see are vertically focused on God and his work. Okay? Here's the first one. We should pray in reverent praise of who God is. When we pray, our attitudes and words should be focused in praise of, who, of God for who he is. Get this from the very first sentence of the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this may sound like a declaration, it's actually a request. Okay? Hallowed is probably the biggest word Jesus uses, but it has a very simple meaning. Okay? It just means to be made holy or pure or to be kept holy or displayed as holy or sacred to the world around us. So Jesus says here to pray that God's name would be hallowed. God's name is often used in Scripture to refer to all of who God is, to all of his nature. So this was a prayer for God himself to be seen as holy and sacred and righteous and awesome. That his renown would spread. This prayer could essentially include all kinds of praise to God. Father, you are holy. You are awesome. You're gracious. You're good to us. May your name be honored everywhere. May everyone see how great you are. That's the prayer. Now, if we want God to be honored appropriately everywhere, that includes our lives and our hearts. Brian Chappelle says, By requesting that God honor his name, Jesus teaches us to ask God to make all creation recognize and revere his holiness. Of course, included in creation is the one praying. So in the same breath that we request God to make his name holy everywhere else, we ask God to make our own heart honor him. Praying with this attitude is a couple important things for us. It reorients us, reorients our hearts to what's true. It reminds us of who we're praying to, increasing our trust in him. It reminds us of who we are in light of who he is in light of his holiness. And most importantly, simply, 
It's a way that we're privileged to be able to glorify God. He wants us to glorify Him. This is a way we can do that. So ask yourself today, are your prayers saturated in praise? If not, something needs to change. We shouldn't only be praising God when we come together on Sunday mornings. Praise should permeate everything we say or do, especially when we pray. So I encourage you, consider how you can praise God more. In every prayer that you pray, it shouldn't be very difficult at all. But there's a reason Jesus puts it first. Very top. It's that important. R.C. Sproul says the top priority for the Christian is to see that God's name is kept holy, for it is holy. If that were the only prayer request the Christian community ever made, and if believers made it earnestly and regularly, I suspect the revival we pray for and the reformation we so earnestly desire would be accomplished in no time. Everything, our work, our ministry, and all aspects of our daily lives would be affected. One prayer. But when the God who is hallowed works on the earth, everything is affected. And this comes out in the second request of the Lord's Prayer. It says this, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What does this tell us about how we should pray? This, that we should pray in celebration and anticipation of God's kingdom. Okay? When we pray, we should be praying about God's kingdom, celebrating it, and anticipating it. This is all wrapped up in those three little words, your kingdom come. It's a request for God's kingdom to come to earth. Now, if you've been with us through Luke, we've talked about the kingdom of God a lot. And, and the kingdom of God refers to the reign or the authority of God over everything. And so when we pray for it to come to earth, we pray that his rule would be restored here. His dominion and that his influence would expand among us. Right now, God's kingdom is an invisible, spiritual kingdom over people's hearts. So, when we submit to God, and and we want to honor Him with our hearts, and put ourselves under God's authority and follow Him, we become part of His kingdom. We join it. He is our king and our ruler. Now, the kingdom can be confusing to us because there's really a past, a present, and a future aspect to it. Hey, follow with me here. In a way, this prayer has already been partially answered through Jesus. When we pray your kingdom come, it's been answered. Because Jesus did indeed bring God's kingdom to earth. He inaugurated and established God's kingdom through his death and resurrection. He reestablished God's reign over people's hearts at that time. Jesus told his disciples at another point that the kingdom of God is among you. It's already here. It's already come in in the past, and it's here now. So how does that relate to our prayers? We should be celebrating that, right? Celebrating the fact the kingdom has already come and is among us. There's also a present aspect to that, to God's kingdom. Because with every life that is transformed by Jesus, God's kingdom advances. So as your life is continually changed, be more like your king, Jesus is, God's kingdom extends more and more over your heart. 
And we should be celebrating the experiences we have of the kingdom coming to us, changing our lives, as well as desperately praying that God's kingdom comes to others as well. Past, present, there's also a future aspect of God's kingdom. Because it's not entirely fulfilled yet. One day, Jesus will return to earth as the king. And everything will be justly subjected to his rule. There's so much on this earth that is broken and corrupted by sin and death. We should pray, God, let your kingdom come. Fully anticipating the coming kingdom. God, we want your justice and your righteousness to be displayed here on earth. We yearn for you to come and make all things right. That's the prayer for your kingdom to come. As you can see, there's many aspects to the prayer. Today, just think about whether or not this is a common theme in your prayer. Do you celebrate and praise God for what he's done to bring his kingdom here now? Do you thank him for the cross, the resurrection? Do you pray that the kingdom would advance in your life? That you would learn to obey and follow Christ more each day as your king? Do you pray that others in your life, your loved ones, would see their need for Jesus and be brought into his kingdom? You pray in anticipation for Jesus' coming return to earth. What can you do to make sure this is a key ingredient in your prayers? And it certainly was for Jesus. Okay, so like I said, first two themes of our prayer are vertical, focused on God, on His glory being displayed, and His kingdom's work moving forward. The other three are all horizontal. Focus on our needs in our own lives. But still focus, of course, on what God can do to meet our needs. Here's the next one. That we should pray in total dependence on God's provision. And when we pray, we should realize and reaffirm complete dependence on God's provision. You all know what comes next. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Supplication, provision. Now that's probably the most prominent theme in most of our prayers. We don't need to be told to be included this. We're asking for this all the time, right? And it's not wrong to ask God for things. He wants us to ask. Okay? James 4 tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. The issue comes when we only pray for supplication to the neglect of everything else. What does it mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to pray for our daily bread? You know what your daily bread is? Our daily bread is, is a pretty simple picture of our basic necessities in life. Notice Jesus doesn't say, give us each day our chocolate cake. Or give us each day our T-bone steak. No, <laughs> he doesn't pray that. It's our necessities, what we need. So the money that you need to live on. That's a form of daily bread. The food and water that you need to sustain yourself, those are obviously forms of daily bread. The clothes or the shelter you need to survive, especially on days like today, that's daily bread for us. 
with our basic needs. Luxury cars, expansive houses, excessive paychecks, or pricey vacations are not daily bread. That doesn't mean it's wrong to have those, or even on occasion to ask God for them. Okay, don't get me wrong. But when Jesus wants us to pray for our daily bread, he wants us to pray for our needs. How can he supply for our needs? And let me tell you, God the Father faithfully provides for his children's needs. Faithfully. Far more abundantly than we deserve. But we usually fall into the natural assumption that we provide for ourselves, right? It's like we think, I've earned my money that paycheck that comes in, I've worked hard to get it. I worked hard to pay for my education and get through that and or for my house. I bought and prepared the food that's sitting on my table today. I did this. I provided this. I, I, I. The truth is that ultimately God provides everything that we have or that we know. They're all gifts for it is only because of God's gracious providence that we can work, and earn, and provide. Without him, we'd all be destitute, hungry, broken, hurting, probably all dead. We are so dependent on his grace, whether we know it or not, that he wants us to. He wants us to recognize our dependence on Him in our prayers. Really, God knows what we need far better than we know ourselves anyway. And what we truly need more than anything else is Jesus. And that's not a cliche. He wants to give us what we most earnestly desire. But He wants what we most earnestly desire to be God and His renown. Brian Chappelle again says, when we delight most in fulfilling God's purposes, having his name reverenced and his kingdom furthered, so the first two requests, then God gives us the desires of our heart. Jesus designed the Lord's Prayer to reveal his desire to give us more fully, graciously, and suitably the very things we most want, but mistakenly seek elsewhere. He does not want to deny us our desires, but helps remove the false objects of our affections so that we will have the greater blessings he longs to lavish on us. One of those much greater blessings is seen in the fourth request of this prayer. In answer to one of the much greater needs that we have. Look what he says. Give us each day our daily bread, in verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Here's the point. We should pray in humble pleading for God's mercy. When we pray, we need to pray with confession of sins, always pleading for God's mercy once again. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Let me ask this. How often do we need forgiveness? Well, how often do we sin? Every day? Every hour? Maybe every minute? 
If I'm not sinning in word or deed, I'm often sinning in thought or attitude. And every time God, in His grace, reveals our sin to us, it is our duty to repent of it. To confess it to Him, to turn away from it, and to once again receive His forgiveness. Now this might sound like a discouraging request. That we always have to ask for forgiveness again and again. However, it's actually encouraging. Because this is a prayer that will always be answered. Okay? No matter when you pray it, it will always be answered. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Because God is faithful, He is just, He forgives, we can never exhaust His mercy. Never. So He says... Keep asking for forgiveness. Keep doing it day after day, and you'll never see the end of my love. God's day-to-day forgiveness is guaranteed because he has purchased forgiveness once for all for Jesus' death and resurrection. If it wasn't for Jesus coming to earth and dying for us, we'd have no hope be forgiven of our sins because our sins justly deserve God's wrath and our deaths. But Jesus, in his mercy, bore God's wrath. He died our death and rose again to give us life. Have you accepted that before? Do you believe that? That you are a great sinner? You need forgiveness? that Christ is a greater Savior? You can today. I'd love to help walk you through that, to take that step. Be forgiven forever. It is a glorious thing to be completely forgiven by the God of mercy and grace. I pray that you'd be able to celebrate that today. And every day from now on, celebrate His forgiveness. And when we experience God's forgiveness, it naturally leads to us freely forgiving others. You see the second line there, second part of the prayer, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now this isn't a condition on forgiveness, okay? Otherwise, no one could be entirely forgiven. Because our forgiveness is never perfect. Only God's forgiveness is perfect. But what this prayer does is it challenges us to see if our faith is genuine. Because if we have truly repented of our faith and we have been forgiven, forgiving others should come naturally. It should be a compulsion for us. A glad obligation in our lives. If we simply cannot forgive those who have hurt or offended, or sinned against us, then perhaps we haven't been forgiven ourselves. And it becomes a compulsion. It's like we're a mug that tea or coffee or another hot drink is poured into. It's so nice to come in from the cold and get your hands around a nice hot mug, isn't it? You get the warmed up. What happens? 
You take a cold mug out from the cupboard and you pour some tea into it. What happens to the mug itself? Okay? As it's filled with the hot liquid, it naturally warms up, right? It becomes warm or hot to the touch. It can't help but naturally become warm by the liquid that fills it. In the same way, it's like God's forgiveness is poured into our hearts, like a hot tea. And when our hearts are warmed by God's forgiveness, we can't help but radiate that warmth to others, become gracious and forgiving ourselves. Yes, it may take some time for God's forgiveness to to permeate every aspect of our life. But I think that's one of the reasons he tells us to keep asking for forgiveness over and over again. Keep reminding yourself of his grace. Keep receiving his grace every day. Keep feeling his hot forgiveness be poured into your heart and warm your heart. And then you won't be able to help but radiate forgiveness and grace to those around you. There's one final prayer in this version of the Lord's Prayer, and it's related to when we just looked at. It is wonderful to be forgiven of sin. Wouldn't you say it's even better to avoid sin in the first place? So Jesus tells us to simply pray, last part of verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. This is what we learn here. We should pray in needful petition for God's spiritual protection. We are in great need for God's protection from evil and temptation, so we should pray. This is connected to the other part in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it says, lead us not into temptation. Now, on one level, God will never tempt us with evil. Okay? James 1.13 tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. However, God does allow us to be tempted by ourselves or by evil forces around us. So this prayer, what it's doing is it's asking God to protect us from these temptations in us and around us. God, don't let us go anywhere near them. Keep temptation far away from us. For Halloween this year, we bought enough candy to give out to probably around 70 trick-or-treaters. And we ended up getting about 20 at our door. Now, if you've got a sweet tooth like me, that's a good problem to have. (laughs) We've had this cardboard box on our counter about two-thirds full of candy just sitting on our counter this month. And it's full of candy. Now, you also know, if you know us, we have a two-year-old son at home. And he quickly learned two things about this box. One, he learned where the candy was stored. And two, he learned that he wasn't supposed to get into it. (laughs) He got in trouble. But almost every day since Halloween, he has pushed a chair over to the counter, climbed up on the chair, and literally just stared. longingly (laughs) into the box. (laughs) Talk about staring temptation in the face, right? 
And you know what? We allow him to be tempted in that way. It's a good test of his obedience, and it teaches him self-control and restraint. But allowing him to be tempted doesn't mean we're the ones doing the tempting. We didn't put the box there in order to tempt him to eat a bunch of candies. In a similar way, God allows us to be tempted. It tests us. It tests our obedience and our self-control. What this prayer in the Lord's Prayer is doing is asking God for help as we battle these temptations that inevitably arise around us. God, please put the box away. Get it out of my sight. Okay? Hide it somewhere. Let me not even see it. Protect me from even the opportunity to fall. Okay. Remove the chair so I can't climb up. We need this protection. We can't fight these battles on our own. And if you find yourself constantly struggling with these temptations and, and sins, I bet anything we need more prayerful dependence on you. So are you praying for this? Praying for his spiritual protection every day. And if not, how can you better incorporate reliance on God's protection into your prayer? It can be very simple. And pray these exact words. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Protect me. Keep them away. I know that I am inundated with temptations of all kinds every day. But I wonder how many millions more God has protected me from in the first place. Ever thank Him for that grace in your life? Jesus knows what we need before we ask. And what we need most is him. And you ever notice this? Take special note here. Jesus is the answer to every prayer in the Lord's Prayer. You ever seen that before? God, Think about it. God's name is most hallowed and glorified through his Son, through Jesus, the Holy One of God. God's kingdom has come through Jesus' death and resurrection and will come fully on Jesus' return. Okay? We pray for our daily bread, but we know that Jesus is the living bread who satisfies all of our needs. We pray for forgiveness, which is purchased in full through Jesus' mercy. And we pray for protection from temptation. Temptations that Jesus himself experienced and overcame giving us hope that we, too, can overcome. All of these prayers find their ultimate answer in Jesus. And when we pray this prayer, we express our trust in Him, that we need Him, we depend on Him, that we want Him to be honored and glorified in our lives and around us. Well, it's best to learn by doing. So as we pray to close, I'm going to ask all of us here to pray this prayer in our hearts. Okay? I want to show you, just as we end up, how easy it can be to make praying this prayer the pattern or a habit in our life, to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're all going to do it together, okay? It's easy for us to 
Like we think of prayer as some unattainable goal. But this is easy. It's easy for us to think through this prayer. We all have it memorized to, to guide us as we pray. Okay? So let's pray together. We bow your heads, and I'll guide you. Of course, it starts out, Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, so just take a minute and express your praise to God for who he is. His character, his nature, his power, his wisdom, his love. Of course, his holiness. Pray that his name's renown would multiply all over the earth. Next is your kingdom come. Kingdom come. Pray that God's kingdom would extend over your heart. That you would learn what it means to obey God faithfully. Pray that his kingdom would extend over your loved one's lives. Those who need him. And pray that his kingdom would come soon to right everything that's wrong. Give us each day our daily bread. Just think about different needs that you have in your life. They're all different no matter what their needs are. Think about the needs and and tell God that you trust him to provide for you. Give us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Think about ways that you know you've sinned against God recently. Maybe that's lust or greed or anger, gossip, morality, whatever the case may be. Bring it to God, confess it to Him, and then marvel at His inexhaustible mercy. Pray that you would radiate that forgiveness to others around you. Finally, lead us not into temptation. Pray that God would protect you from all forms of evil, even the evil that's inside of you. Pray that he'd keep temptations from your path, that he'd take away the chair or the box that stares at you every day. And that when you do face temptation, that you'd have the strength to resist. Pray all these things in the name of the one who is the answer to our prayers.
Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. I'll invite the worship team up at this time, and I'll be back in just a couple minutes with a couple friends of mine. we got a special treat to end our service together, and then we'll see you downstairs.